choir again, yes. Amen. Amen. Here's the thing, church. Sometimes, I don't know about you, but sometimes I don't really like what Jesus has to say. Sometimes he says things and it's a little difficult. It's a little too radical, a little too weird, a little too uncomfortable. And I'm thinking, Jesus, I really wish you didn't say that. Right? Sell all your money and give it all to the poor. But I want to buy a boat. Right? <laughs> or love your enemies. Right? But, but it's really kind of fun to hold a grudge once in a while, isn't it? See, there's all these points in the scriptures where Jesus says things and we read it and we're like, Oh, well, this is awkward. And the reality is that it's not just us who feels like that either. This, what I love is reading through the scriptures and reading through the gospels, you see again and again that a lot of people hearing Jesus in the scriptures have trouble with what he has to say. Right? The Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Roman authorities, all of them take issue at one time or another with what Jesus is saying. And then there's even moments where his own disciples don't like what Jesus is talking about. So what do we do when we get to these points in the Bible where we don't really like what Jesus is telling us, where it's too difficult? We're going to be thinking about this question today as we look at that gospel reading I read right before the children's sermon from John chapter 6. I've titled this sermon, This Jesus is Difficult. Please pray with me. May the words of my lips and the meditations of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord. Send your living word to walk amongst us now, to challenge our assumptions, to set our hearts ablaze, and to make us whole again. Amen. So I know I've talked at one time or another about my love for basketball and that I played it in high school, but one thing I don't think I've shared with you yet is that I also played tennis in high school. I know there's a couple of tennis players out there. Uh, loved the game, had a lot of fun with it, but there was uh, tennis in uh, where I grew up in Albany, New York, was a spring sport. And so the, the boys' tennis team always had its games and its practices in the spring of the year. And now here's the thing, the spring sports season started in the beginning of March. But I grew up in Albany, New York, and spring didn't really begin until the middle of April, right? And, and so sport, the sports season would begin, and we'd start having tennis practices in March, but there would still be snow on the courts all the way up and through most of April. And so that meant that we would be in, in the gym for the first month and a half of the season. And, and our coach would always tell us, he'd be like, don't even bother bringing your rackets, right? And we knew that we were in trouble then because that meant we were going to be running the whole practice. And that was not really the best way to end a long day, right? You've been in school, you've been in class all day, and then you get to go to tennis practice. You're thinking it's going to be fun. But no, we're in the gym and we're running for the first month and a half of the season. I remember clearly exactly how every practice would begin on those conditioning days. The coach would get there and he would say, okay, I need everyone to run to half court as fast as you can and back, run full court and back, and then do it again backwards. And what he meant by that was do it again running backwards, okay? And so this would be two hours of conditioning every day after school for a month and a half. And there were so many points during this conditioning part of the season when I would think, coach, I don't want to do it, right? I don't want to run another ladder. I don't want to run another up and back. And he's like, okay, well then let's do some push-ups and sit-ups. And we'd twist into that. Like, coach, I don't want to do that anymore either. You see, 
it got very difficult. That's why I didn't want to do it. I wasn't in good shape because I'd been sitting for the last couple of months. And, and so these first months of the season really took a toll, not just on me, but other members of the team too. And there were times again and again where our coach would tell us to do something and we wouldn't want to do it because it's difficult. And yet we still did because we knew that we needed to. We knew that he was preparing us for the season. We knew that this was for our own good. Now you might see the analogy I'm starting to make here. It's often the same way with Jesus. Jesus will say things that we don't like because they sound difficult. Because they hit us between the eyes and convict us in a way that we weren't really ready to admit yet this morning. We know that if we actually listen and follow what Jesus has to say, that it will turn our life completely upside down. I wish you didn't say that, Jesus. I wish you didn't say that. And yet there's something inside us deep down that knows that it was actually exactly what we needed to hear. Let's turn now to John chapter 6, to this gospel reading for this morning, because I want to look at one of these situations in particular. It's John chapter 6, and we're starting at verse 58, actually, which is right at the end of that paragraph there. Um, Grab your pew Bibles. You can pull it up on your cell phone. Or if you brought your own Bible, bonus points, Dr. Butler. Yes, yes. (laughs) All right. So this is John chapter 6, and I want to start at verse 58. Jesus said, this is the bread that came down from heaven, not like that which your ancestors ate and they died, but the one who eats this bread will live forever. He said these things while he was teaching in the synagogue at Capernaum. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this teaching is difficult. Who can accept it? Now, stop there. A little background for you. Jesus is teaching in a synagogue, which is a very good thing for a rabbi to be doing. And it tells us that some of his disciples are having trouble with the teaching. Now, Jesus had lots of disciples. We often think it's just the 12, but he had many, many disciples at different points in time. And these disciples who were in the synagogue that day were likely individuals who first heard about Jesus through the feeding of the 5,000. Earlier in John chapter 6, Jesus feeds the 5,000. And so we know that there's probably a connection here, that, that those people, having gotten a free meal from Jesus on the hillside that day, decided to follow and see what he had to say and, and maybe see if he had another free meal in him somewhere down the line. And, and so they're there in the synagogue that morning listening to what Jesus has to say. And suddenly it's not about free bread anymore. It's this difficult teaching of needing to Eat Jesus and drink his blood, right? This very strange words that can be really hard to wrap your mind around. And so these disciples say, this teaching is too difficult. We can't accept it. You're saying, Jesus, that we have to follow you so closely that it's as if we're eating your body and drinking our blood. We can't do that. This is too much for us. And now, there's a really very telling very fun play on words that the gospel writer John includes in this passage in particular. In verse 60, the disciples say, this teaching is difficult. But if you look at the original Greek, the word this teaching is actually the word logos, a Greek word that John uses at many other places in his gospel. Most famously, John uses the word logos in the very beginning of his gospel, that famous, famous passage that you've likely heard at Christmas. The word in the beginning was the word 
and the word was with God, and the word was God, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. There, John is using logos. The logos was in the beginning with God, and the logos was God, and the logos became flesh and dwelled among us. So this word logos is also intimately connected to Jesus. And so another way that you could translate this passage, verse 60 that we just read, they're saying this logos, this word of God made flesh, this Jesus is difficult. Who can accept it? This is our word from the Lord here this morning, Reformation. I'm here to tell you clearly that following Jesus is difficult. If you were looking for something easy, you shouldn't have come here on a Sunday morning. That's not how it works. Following Jesus will completely change your life. It's so much more than just sitting through a church service on a Sunday morning for an hour. Following Jesus, listening closely to his words, it will change the way you treat other people. It will change the way you treat yourself. It will change the way you interact with strangers. It will change the way you think, the way you vote, the way you shop. If you really let Jesus into your heart, if you let him rearrange the furniture in your soul, it will change your entire outlook on life. In short, it will mess you up. And that's why we need church. If we're really going to follow Jesus like this and let him transform us inside and out, then we need a community to go through it together. You see, one of the reasons I was able to make it through all those wind sprints in tennis is because I had a team. There were 15 other guys who also went through the whole school day and then went to the gym without their rackets to run up and down for two hours. And we would have lots of fun with it, right? We'd challenge each other, like, I'm going to beat you on this one. Or, or we'd push one another along, come on, you can do it, you can do it. Or we'd tease each other, right? I didn't really have much going for you on that, did you? And yet, we did it together, and that's what pulled us along. And we were able to remind one another that this was for the good of the whole team, that this was for all of our growth and betterment. And, and you know what? It worked. My tennis team... We won the division every single year we were there. And now, here's why. We weren't any that, really that great at tennis. I'm still not very good at tennis. But because of that training and conditioning that we did, we were so much better prepared for all the teams that we faced. In high school tennis, all you really need to do is get the ball over the net and run it down each and every time. And that's the way that I did it. And it worked. And so all of this annoying running and sprinting that we didn't like to do, it was for our own growth and our own betterment. And it worked. And so Reformation, a church is kind of the same way. Jesus says some difficult things, some things that we don't want to do. He asks us to do stuff that we'd rather not, but we as a church, we struggle through it together. We study the scriptures and interpret them together, trying to figure out exactly what it means to follow Jesus today. We hold one another up in prayer as we struggle with the different aspects of this spiritual growth. We hold each other accountable. We remind each other of the promises of Jesus. We grow in our understanding of God and our, and our understanding of what it means to be human. And we do it all together because you can't follow Jesus alone. And that allows us to grow in all the ways that we need.
If you could, hopefully you still have your Bibles open. If not, we're going back to chapter 6. I want to read the end of that passage. I know you just got comfortable and thought you could put them away, right? (laughs) Plot twist. Um, This is John chapter 6 again, and, and I want to read how that passage ends for us. This is verse 66. Because of this, many of the disciples turned back and no longer went about with Jesus. So Jesus asked the 12, right, his core group, like, do you also wish to go away? There's the door. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom can we go? You have the words of eternal life. You see, some disciples thought it was too difficult and they went away. But Jesus asked his core group and Peter responds. And notice he doesn't say like, oh, no, Jesus, it's not that big a deal. This isn't that difficult. More than likely, this was just as difficult for Peter to hear as it was for everyone else. But Peter's figured out that Jesus has the words that lead to eternal life. That there's actually nowhere else to go but here. Peter recognizes that Jesus' words may be difficult, but they're the words that lead to real life. They are the teachings that bring healing to those who are sick. Peter's seen this. They're the teachings that bring wholeness and redemption to sinners across the land. They're the words that cast out demons and topple empires and change the world and transform people inside and out. They are difficult words, but they are the words of eternal life. Church, Jesus is difficult, but following him is totally worth it. Now, you're here today probably because you're looking for something. Maybe you didn't realize it this morning. Uh, Maybe this is just what you do on Sunday mornings and you're in a routine. But I think if you really search yourself and think long and hard, there's something in your life that you're looking for. Maybe you're in need of healing or comfort. Maybe you're in need of hope and during a difficult time. Maybe you need inspiration or direction or comfort or belonging. Maybe you just know you need a change and you haven't quite figured out what that looks like. Whatever specific title you have given to it, the truth is what you're looking for is resolution. And Jesus Christ is the resolution. No, no, no. Literally, Jesus Christ is the resolution. We often think that Jesus is his first name and Christ is his last name, right? And if he put on a jersey, it'd say Christ across the back like that. But no, no, Christ is a title. Very similar to the Hebrew Messiah. Only Christ means the one in whom resolution is found. Jesus is the one in whom resolution is found. Jesus is difficult, but Jesus is the one who can bring resolution to whatever feels incomplete within you. Jesus has the words of eternal life. His compassion can heal you. His courage can inspire you. His love can comfort you. His teachings can change you. Jesus will help you to see the difficult truths that you don't want to acknowledge but that you need to in order to become holy. It's not always going to be easy, church. Jesus is going to ask you to face your demons and give up your vices and forgive your enemies and love your neighbors. 
But tied up in all of these difficult teachings, church, is the path to transformation, the path to eternal life. This Jesus is difficult, but where else are we going to find resolution? The resolution that we're all looking for. Amen.